You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We're going to be reading Acts 2, um, verses 1 through 21. I'll be reading from the ESV, so I'll give you a chance to turn there. And again, it's Acts 2, verses 1 through 21. If you will please rise for the reading of God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, but it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
Good evening, my name is Ben Milner, one of the pastors here, and we're so glad you're here, especially if you're new. Welcome to Salem. We are looking at the book of Acts, uh, which is um, a continuation of the book of Luke. So Luke and Acts are both written by this doctor who knew Paul named Luke. And the book of Acts is the continuing uh, works of Jesus. Uh, So in the beginning he says, uh, I told you in my last book what Jesus began to do and teach. And now I'm telling you what he continues to do and teach through his apostles, through his church. So really the book of Acts should be called not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Ascended Lord, the one who is now crowned king. Uh, we saw in the last, uh, last week, the first chapter, that the, the first chapter is all about his ascension. And I said it was the most underrated part of the gospel. We know about his cross, we know about... Uh, his resurrection, but rarely do we talk about the fact that he is ascended. And if he were not ascended, he would just be walking around on earth still as a resurrected person, uh, but he wouldn't be able to be maneuvering his body all over the earth, which he's doing right now, as the ascended Lord. He has entered into, entered through the portal into the upside down, the invisible realm, and he is moving in that realm, and, and he is doing all sorts of things, including bringing you tonight, letting you hear his word. As I preach, he is the one addressing you, not me. Uh, and he rules from uh, he rules through his word, um, from the mouths of his people, and through his supper. So uh, last week we saw that he ascended; he was crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will never stop reigning. Of the increase of his reign, there will be no end. So it's exponential because it just keeps increasing every year, increasing more and more and more. Of the increase of his reign, uh, there will be no end. The Prince of Peace. And then we also saw last week that he said, "I'm going to make you witnesses." I'm going to make you 120 people, my little gathering of people in Jerusalem, the Galileans who've come, my original disciples. I'm going to make you my witnesses first in Jerusalem and then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. That's the plan. So the book of Acts is just witnessing first Jerusalem, then the witness in Judea, then the witness in Samaria, and then the witness to the ends of the earth. And that's how the book's structured. And we start with Jerusalem here. And in Acts 1.14, he said, I'm going to send my spirit on you in power. And that's going to enable you to witness. My spirit put on you is going to enable you to witness. So when he gets up into the heavenly realms, uh, he's going to be um, empowering us through his spirit. His spirit being like his mind, his will, you know, moving, moving his body around. The way I'm moving around my fingers right now. He's animating us because he is, he is the ascended Lord and his spirit comes out and it moves us. And so you have these uh, 120 Galileans in this upper room, which you can see a picture of on the internet. It's big. It's, it's not a whole lot smaller than this room. Um, and so they're, they're in this upper room, in this place in Jerusalem. There's all these pilgrims, 150,000 pilgrims, who've come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And they're outside the upper room. They're not near the upper room. But they're about to come to the upper room. And Pentecost happens when the Spirit comes down on 120 people in that upper room. They start talking about the reign of Jesus and then all these other people come rushing in to hear what's going on. So that's what Pentecost is about. And really what it is, is, is Christ creates his body. It's like he creates a new life. He creates the, um, the new creation. It's the very first fruits of the new creation. The feast of Pentecost was the first fruits. That was the nature of the feast. It was a Jewish festival. There's three of them. Passover, 50 days later, Pentecost, and then the feast of the tabernacles later in the fall. But this is the second one. 
And so the, it's the feast of first fruits. And now the church is like the first fruits of the new creation that are created at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. So I want to look at that, this new creation, the body of Christ. And then I want to look at the fact that as a new creation, we have this unity, like this nuclear powered unity, like nuclear fusion. And it brings us together. And it transcends all race, all class, all gender, everything. All identity politics transcended by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who's in us. So, first of all, the new creation. Um, it's Pentecost. They're praying. Jesus said, wait for my Father's gift of the Holy Spirit. So they're praying. They're waiting. Like, bring the Spirit. Bring the Spirit. You know, they, they're waiting for like 10 days. Because he, he stayed around for 40 days and he taught them. 10 days later, on the 50th day of Pentecost... The Spirit comes down. So there's 10 days they're waiting and praying, just waiting and waiting for the Spirit. They're not going anywhere. They're just sitting in that upper room, and they're, and they're waiting. And then suddenly the power of the king comes down, and it's like he begins to animate this thing. And if you've seen Avatar, I haven't seen the new one, but the first one, you know, Jake Sully gets in that machine, and then through that machine, he is powering his avatar. And that's, that's a crude analogy, but Jesus is powering his body through this spirit that is his mind and his will. So if you are a believer in Christ, that means you have his Holy Spirit in you and he is moving you around. And you have some part to play in his plan. But you're part of his body. You're like a finger, a fingernail, or a foot, or a nose, or an ear. But he is empowering you. Suddenly, a sound from the heavens like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. Tongues of fire appeared and rested on each of them. Verse 2. So the spirit is being poured out. And I thought about the origins of life on earth, which is one of the greatest mysteries of science. Frankly, I don't think uh, biologists really know. And I would say they would admit they don't know. There's a new theory that almost five billion years ago, um, this great cataclysm occurred where this kind of moon-sized comet kind of hit the earth like a pool shot, kind of ricocheted off earth, created this huge metallic hailstorm, created a hydrogen atmosphere, it was a great pool shot, by the way. Just completely random pool shot. Then there was this prebiotic soup that was waiting, and then lightning struck, and suddenly life appeared. Now, I don't know how life really appeared, um, but that's a great analogy for the creation of the church. It's like Pentecost is when the lightning struck, and new life appeared. And in the first instance, whatever happened back then, that was biological life. This is spiritual life. This is a different like dimension of life. So if the biological life is two-dimensional, flat plane, this is like on the third dimension. So when Jesus rose into that higher dimension, you couldn't have located him anywhere anymore. He's like moving in a higher dimension. And he is sending down his spirit. And the, the, the imagery of fire and wind, if you know your Old Testament very well, you, you know where there's fire and wind. There's consistently fire and wind when Yahweh... These theophanies where Yahweh comes down and he appears. So the most famous one is uh, Exodus 19. You have Israel gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. And then it said, suddenly the Lord came down and there was thunder and lightning and thick clouds and a loud trumpet blast. And the whole mountain was wrapped in smoke like the smoke of a kiln and it trembled greatly. So that's the same presence of Yahweh that is now coming down. And this is called the consuming fire in Isaiah. He calls them the consuming fire because it is so hot and so burning that uh, it consumes everything that touches it. And so this consuming fire is so wild and so out of control and threatening that it had to be contained. Because Israel basically said, I don't want to be anywhere near that mountain. 
Because that's terrifying. So what the consuming fire did is he, he contained himself in a kind of a, a nuclear reactor, if you will. Like one of those you know, reactors that you see, the containment area. And, and he's so powerful and, and radioactive that he's got to be contained. And that's what the temple was. The temple was where the presence of Yahweh was contained in the space that made it safe. It was this one little area, the Holy of Holies. And he dwelt in that area. And if you went into that area, you would die. So there was a big thick curtain separating you from that area. And the only way you could ever go through that curtain is if you had had blood put on you. The, pre- the high priest wants you to go in that area. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so in 2 Chronicles 7, when they built the temple and they sacrificed, it says, while Solomon was praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the temple. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And that's the same glory on Sinai. And that's now the same glory that is happening at Pentecost. That's the same glory. So it's like God is coming nearer. And he's breaking into these people's hearts. And he's breaking out to everyone. All these people from all over the world. So the spirit is the spirit of Yahweh. It's a, it's a terrifying spirit. Um, it's, it's a spirit that uh, in some ways you don't really necessarily want to be around. Because it is so consuming. And yet the Bible says that that is inside of us if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit, that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Both me personally and the, us as a church are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So at the ascension, Jesus like passes into that other dimension, that other realm. And then at Pentecost, he comes and sends his spirit back through that portal into us. And now we are filled with this Holy Spirit. And if you feel like you're a weak or unimportant or useless person or you're alone, you have nothing to contribute, you have very little of value... Just know that the Holy Spirit is as much in you as anyone in this room. Uh, there is no, there is no like, uh, next level Christian. There is no next level Christian because there is no next level Christianity. Because it is entirely egalitarian. And you know, I'm preaching right now. I'm using one gift. Um, but that doesn't mean that I have any more of the Holy Spirit than you. We all, we all have it. If the Holy Spirit is in you, it's like a nuclear reactor inside of you. So anyone that calls on the name of the Lord is saved and the Spirit comes in. This power from on high. So a New Year's resolution for a Christian shouldn't be like fitter, happier, more productive. Which is a reference to a Radiohead song. But that's, that's not, you know, fitness. I want to be more productive and I want to be happier. That's not, that's not a great resolution for a Christian. For a Christian, the resolution is like, fill me with the new creation power. That I already have in me, but I need you to fill me again. Because we can fan this thing into flame, or we can kind of marginalize it, and kind of ignore it, and act like it's not really there, and act like that's not who we really are. But they are so inflamed with this thing that they look like they're drunk. I think it's funny when Peter stands up to address them, he says, now, it's only nine in the morning, we're not drunk, we look drunk, you know, we look so ecstatic that we're drunk, but we're not actually drunk, we're drunk with the Holy Spirit. Because we are now new creations. So let's not just be better in 2023. Let's be new, new creatures, brand new. Um, that, that which we really are. Or if you're not a believer, then ask, call in the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And he will fill you with the Holy Spirit immediately. That's what it means to become a Christian. But Jesus has plans for us uh, that are a lot larger than we could imagine or desire. Frankly, we don't necessarily want the plans he has for us because he's playing such a long game that he might put you through hell this year 
to get you to the place he wants to get you, which is heaven, which is with him forever. This is what um, C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, my favorite book. He says, improvement is not redemption, though redemption does improve people. God became a man not to improve the old kind of humanity, but to make a new kind of humanity. He is not teaching a horse to jump higher. He is turning a horse into a winged creature, a pegasus. So that is what we are called to if we are believers, is to be living a new kind of life. So that's the first point, new creation, living as the body of Christ. And if you are part of the new creation, if you have the Holy Spirit, one of the things he's always doing is he's unifying people. He's always bringing people together. Now we can resist that. You're going to always find this force. The force is going to be in you bringing you together with other people. And you might try to hate them and run away from them. And not want to forgive them and be bitter towards them. But the spirit is always going to be drawing you into this new kind of unity. Because the new creation always has this new kind of unity. So that's the second point. It transcends race, gender, and class. Verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Now, it helps to know a little bit of background here. Um, These are all Jews. They're not Gentiles. They're either Jewish people or they're people who are Gentiles that are proselytes, which means they are living as they're Jewish, but they have not been circumcised. Um, that's very, so it's basically a, a Greek or Roman person that is wanting to live the life of someone who's Jewish. They're converts. So you have all these, probably 150,000 people that are Jewish or they're proselytes, and they're from all over the Roman Empire. I mean, you saw that list that Laura read. It's huge. It covers the extremities, the farthest north and south, east and west of the Roman Empire. And Luke lists them all. And he's a man of very few words, and he lists all those nations you can see there. And all these Jewish people have been scattered to the winds because in 586 BC, God basically just exiled them. He just he blew up Israel. Because Israel was was so much like the other nations. They had completely abandoned God. They had become just like the empires around them. They had become just like the Babylonians, the Assyrians. And so God says, you want the empire? You got the empire. And he let them be exiled. And so this family of Israel that was all living in Judea was now torn apart and dispersed to the winds. It was the greatest tragedy in the history of Israel. And at that point, the glory of God departed the temple. So Israel was no more to some extent. There was like this long period of waiting. That's 586 B.C. And now here we are at 33 AD. And they have been in exile that entire time. All the pain, all the separation. They've been getting together at these festivals every now and then. Some of them. But there are like over a million Jews scattered over the Roman Empire. In this awful, awful experience of exile. And they're so disintegrated and blown apart that they can't even understand each other. Because they speak these different languages. So all these Jewish people have come to Jerusalem for this festival. But they're separated, they're from all over the empire, and then suddenly the lightning strikes. The lightning of Pentecost strikes, and this new creation happens. And it says in verse 6, when they heard the loud noise, think about all these, these Jewish and proselyte people coming to the upper room. I don't know where they were, they're probably over near the temple. They hear this sound like a hurricane, like a freight train going right over your house. They see these, this light show of fire, and of course they're going to run. And it says, when they heard the loud noise, they came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages spoken by the believers. 
Now, this is not, okay, this is not speaking in tongues. So you might have heard of speaking in tongues, but it's like unintelligible speech. That's not this. Whatever that is, it's not this. Because this is people speaking in languages that they don't know. This is like Mary, the mother of Jesus, speaking Parthian that she didn't know. Or Peter speaking Libyan that he didn't know. It's this miracle where these 120 people from Galilee, which is a very kind of low-class, low-education-level area, they're speaking all these languages. And so these 120 uneducated Galileans are on fire with this hurricane of multilingual praise, and they are praising God for all the wonderful things he had done, verse 11. That's the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. They're talking about the ascended Lord, the Messiah, and all these estranged children are connecting again through praise. So if you kind of pull back and think about that picture, the Messiah ruling from heaven, sending down his Holy Spirit, is bringing back Israel under the king, the new David. And so Israel has been recreated right there. The glory has returned to the temple. They are the temple. They're the real temple. And now he's going to send them out to be witnesses all over the Roman Empire. So everything terrible about the exile is now being redeemed. And not just redeemed, but used to send out the gospel. Because these people go back to their towns, their synagogues. And they're taking the Holy Spirit fire with them. And so he reunites Israel, the crowned, resurrected Lord, and he connects them to this shared passion. And that is what connects us. It's, it's a shared passion. It's the fire and the wind, fresh fire, the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. That's what connects people. That's what connects Christians from all over the world. I have been in other countries where I've talked to people who I barely knew. And sometimes I barely understand them because they have a language barrier between me and them. I don't speak their language. They usually know English. I don't know their language. And so we're trying to talk, barely to understand each other. And like being a Christian, you've probably had this experience if you're a believer. Being a Christian in them, it's like you already know each other. Because you are connected by that nuclear reactor. It's like you're resonating with them. Because you both love God so much. Because there's this common passion for the ascended Lord. And he is actually the one who is maneuvering you both around. Because he, through his spirit, is animating us. So we have this mutual passion for the king. And for 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit has been uniting the servants of the king from all over the world. Think about him going out from that little tiny room in 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 the Galileans in Jerusalem, that upper room. And then the spirit just spreading out all over the world. And by the time that it reached Scotland... It had also reached Japan. People don't realize this, but it reached Japan, Scotland, and way down into Africa very, very early on. It was quick. It went to India very quickly. Some people think the actual Apostle Thomas got to southern India, took the gospel down there, but it spread. And so today, the church is by far, by far the most culturally diverse institution on the planet. There are 13% live in Asia, uh, 26% in Africa, 24% in Europe. 12% in North America, so we're actually the minority continent. 25% live in South America, whereas Islam is about 80% mostly in that one little area of kind of between uh, in northern, a strip of 1040 window between North Africa and Indonesia. That's where almost all Muslims are. Just to contrast the nature, the cosmopolitan nature of the church, it's absolutely incredible. And it's not just language barriers. Uh, the Spirit overcomes all sorts of other barriers, unifying people who are otherwise split apart. So in verse 17, Peter is quoting from Joel, where Joel says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. 
And I mean all. And so it says, uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy in verse 17. Now that would have been unimaginable in the Old Testament. Women were not really learning from rabbis. It was, it was a scandal that Mary actually sat at the feet of Jesus and learned from him. Women were not worshiping in the synagogues with the men the same way. So women are not really allowed to learn. And now, in 1 Corinthians, we see them in the church. We see them prophesying in the church, women. Um, Paul's like, make sure your head's covered, but, but go ahead and prophesy. Because you have been empowered by Joel. The prophet Joel, through the Holy Spirit, has empowered you to prophesy. Verse 17, your young men will see visions and your old men dream dreams. So it's young people back then were not really a part of the Jewish, the life in Judaism. They were considered secondary citizens, second class citizens who didn't really have a role to play. Um, The children would not have been considered able to teach. And so it's amazing that these young people in the early church were reciting liturgy together with the old people. I mean, the fact that we have kids in here is is a fulfillment of this prophecy in Joel. That I'm going to transcend gender barriers. uh, I'm going to transcend age barriers. I'm going to get rid of all ageism. And then in verse 18, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants. In other words, like bond servants. People who were um, owned by other people. And so you would have like a servant in a master's house. That were scrubbing their floors and then they would go with their master to church and they would kneel together at the Lord's Supper. And total, totally equal before the foot of the cross. In fact, maybe that servant would be an elder in the church where the master was going to be submitting to the elder. And that's the wild thing about the Holy Spirit. is he, you, the, you, the unity of the Spirit that it brings is just bewildering. The, the equality. Um, the empowering. It's not like it brings people down. It just lifts everyone up. In verse 7, it says they were bewildered and completely amazed. In verse 12, they stood there amazed and perplexed because the unity of the church is what is so amazing to people. It shows us that the Holy Spirit is real and alive. And I love how in verse 20, it talks about the sun becoming dark and the moon turning to blood. Those are symbols of uh, kings and governors and emperors. In the Old Testament, in the ancient world, you would always portray emperors or kings as Stars or suns or moons. And so what Joel is saying is that I'm going to shake the Roman political powers. I'm going to shake the empire up. And so you see in the book of Acts, whether it's the Sanhedrin or Agrippa or Festus or Felix, wherever the gospel goes, wherever the spirit goes, it just shakes the powers. It's always shaking the powers. We had some um, neighbors over on um, Thursday night on Sunset Drive, where I live, and uh, it was a little bit, um, I felt a little foolish texting all of our neighbors, but I've been talking about this Sunset Revival thing um, for a long time, because God brought all these new people into our neighborhood, all these young couples moved, all these houses have been flipped, and several of of them are believers, and so I was like, why not? Let's give it a try. Let's have all, I'm going I'm to text the believers. I'm going to call it Sunset Revival. I'm going to take a picture, put a picture of Sunset in that text chain, and I'm going to invite them over to, pr- to prayer. And it felt really embarrassing. It was very, very hard. Um, I was not comfortable. I was not sure. I knew Mary Margaret would show up, and that was about it. <laughs> that was about the only person I knew. And Margie would be there. So, um, you know, it comes time to pray, the Sunset Revival. And uh, sure enough, neighbors come uh, who don't even know each other. 
And um, it's amazing, these people, I mean, it was kind of awkward. Like, we're here to pray, and we don't know each other. And, like, we're praying for revival. And uh, we don't even know each other. And so this guy comes in, he's like, well, I don't really like small talk anyway, so let's just go ahead and start praying. So we start praying for the, the people on our street to be saved. And we're praying for people to come out of their houses and, like, connect and have dinners together. And um, it's just the, the spirit unified us in a way that I felt closer to this guy, who I barely know, than many people I've talked to many, many times because of the bonding, the nuclear fusion of the Holy Spirit that brings people together out of a common passion for God. I mean, it's really, really hard to have a, a friendship as a Christian for me that's not with somebody who loves God. I don't even know if that's possible because the shared love of the Messiah who rules is the thing that fuels the friendship. It's because we share that bond. The empire is always trying to divide us. Uh, the Roman Empire did that. The empire today, the American Empire does that. Race, gender, class always divide us. Think about yourself, they say, primarily in terms of your competing identity group. And so they want you to post and scroll and tweet and express yourself. And the king says, no, no, praise me. Exalt me. Talk about me. And that will bring you together. These, uh, these Judeans who lived in Jerusalem would have sneered at the uneducated Galileans. And now they're praising God together. These citizens of Rome who were there would have despise the non-citizens who are also there, and yet the Spirit is bringing them together. And the masters who would have looked down their slaves are now bonded together by their common love of God. And men who treated women like property in the ancient world are now together praising God equals, equals, one spiritual organism, praising God with one voice. That is what uh, binds us together. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, verse 21. And so we are actually... We as believers are closer than blood relatives uh, because there is a blood that binds us that is a deeper blood than the blood that binds me to my brothers and my mother and my father and my children. And the blood is the blood of Christ. That is just the blood that is a deeper blood than any other kind that binds Remember, we love these rascals.